I'm Evan. And I'm Hannah. We're working together to redesign our first role-playing game, Questlandia, and we're documenting that process in real time. Today we're talking about scope. What makes a game into a big game? Why do so many games turn into big, unwieldy things even when the intention was to keep things small? We'll check in about the state of affairs for Questlandia 2, and we'll talk about scaling games to the size that suits them best. This episode is made possible by the Turtle Bun Patreon. Let's welcome some new patrons. Cliff, Anna, April, and Hunter. Like autumn, your presence brings to mind crisp leaves and cozy sweaters, a sprinkle of cinnamon on a cup of hot chocolate. Now, let's talk about scope. Evan. Hello. Long, long ago, <laughs> little podcast called Design Doc began. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Well, <laughs> well, my best guess this morning in planning for this episode was that it had been like 16 months yeah, and I was like, oh, no, no, you are incorrect, my friend. It's been two years. And then we checked. Because mm -hmm. I remembered that we had launched the podcast in October, and I had wanted to do something to acknowledge the anniversary of the podcast this year, and then it sort of came and went. So we right. checked, and it was like October 17th, 2017. 2017. <laughs> Three years ago... Three your, your, three yours, three yours, <laughs> over three yours in one month ago, this here podcast began. Twas a lifetime ago, me friend. It was a night just like this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, definitely that's more than double my initial estimate, huh? <laughs> um... Time's moving. Questlandia 2 is a tricky game to make. It is. <laughs> and this podcast was about Questlandia 2. And I think it's still about Questlandia 2. Yeah, it's just it's just even more real now. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of it's kind of turned into an art piece about like the nature of time. Mm-hmm. Projects slipping out of control, mm -hmm. doing creative work in capitalism. I think that every every idea sort of finds its way home eventually. Mm -hmm. That's a nice idea. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that... <laughs> I hope that whenever we do publish the last episode of, of Design Doc, I feel like I feel like we'll be like absorbed, like our spirits will be like pop, and they'll like poof out of existence, and mm -hmm. they'll like exist in I don't know a plum bob somewhere. <laughs> we'll both immediately be reincarnated as dice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
the ultimate goal of all game designers. Yeah. D6s, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No hoopers. <laughs> no hoopers. <laughs> <laughs> so long ago, this was a podcast about Questlandia 2. I think in the first episode, we said something like, you know, we're going to do this podcast for a year while we work on the game, and this mm-hmm. this podcast will track the journey of this game over the course of a year. Right. And it's not like we weren't ambitious with our hopes for Questlandia 2 from the start. Sorry to frame that as a negative. We were ambitious. We were super ambitious. From day one. Um, we, we wanted this game to be... Well... Not only did we want it to be big in scope, but we kind of wanted it to be a correction of scope for Mm. Questlandia 1. What do you mean by that? I think what we found was that Questlandia 1, which was designed as a one-shot game, was making worlds and experiences and stories that felt bigger than the size of their container. Like... It felt like we were leaving the worlds too soon. Yeah. Okay. It felt that, like the stories yeah. ended too quickly. It that felt like sense. there was more to explore in this game and that the scope had limited it. And so Questlandia 2 was the idea of a correction to that. It's like, what if we take the magic of the worlds that are created in this role-playing game and we made a game big enough to really explore those? Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a big game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you described it this morning when we were writing our notes as like a game that is limitless in scope in right. a lot of ways. Right. The idea is make any number of worlds, spend any amount of time within any one of these worlds, and have a campaign that goes on as long as you want. Multiple levels of characters, mm-hmm. if if that idea sticks. Uh, and... Also, and I feel like in some ways this is the most important part, achieve a level of simplicity that masks just how big and deep and rich we want the stories to go. Right. Had we just piled on mechanics onto the original Questlandia, who knows? Like, maybe we could have been done. Yeah. I mean, I want to... It's it's very relevant for talking about scope in general. To distinguish that from the size of your rulebook, because I really believe that having fewer rules that still tell the story and achieve everything you want to achieve in a game, that's more work. That's more ambitious than just saying, we'll just throw down rules for every kind of possible scenario. Yeah. But also, I liked, when we started to talk about this, you said something that I liked a lot, because I feel like I feel like when people present this idea of scope, they're often like, the most elegant games, like, are the games that have the most taken away. Like, you strip, you have to, like, you strip down something to its essential, essential quality, and that's a beautiful game that is a pure game. Mm-hmm. And you expressed it kind of like... No, just make the game that is the scope. Make the game that's appropriate for the scope. Right. Uh Uh-huh. So what do we mean when we talk about the scope of a game? 
I mean, I, I guess I feel like in the broadest terms, it's a sense of how much time and energy you're going to pour into something. And maybe that's a little bit matched. Well, may, maybe that's related to how much you expect to get out of the game, like how much you expected to get into the world, how much you're asking from players who engage with it, how much money you're hoping to make, all of those questions. But there's a loose connection there. I think there's a, there's a such thing as making a massive game without massive expectation. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Questlandia 2 has taken longer to produce than we ever expected. And I I feel like it's worth touching on some of the ideas why. Yeah. When I think about the work we've put into Questlandia 2, I mean, I think there's two main things that have thwarted our expectations about how long this game would take to make. One is that our idea of the game itself has been evolving pretty constantly. It hasn't caught and held on a consistent design. We keep sort of making discoveries as we go and wanting to explore those and incorporate them. And more and more of the game has been staying in place from version to version, but still it's in a place of flux. Yeah. That's part one. Part two, which I think is even bigger, is that as it took longer to make and as our idea of when it would be done and ready to put on Kickstarter got further and further into the past, I mean future. (laughs) (laughs) It's time as a circle. As that happened, we were like, well, we need to make something else in the meantime to pay our rent. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote a note about this because, you know, I feel like we often express this in, I don't want to say desperate terms, but, you know, we've like, like anybody who's still sticking around listening to Design Doc has sort of gone on this journey with us. <laughs> um, like there's been other games, there's been tears and a lot of conversations about the nature of capitalism and sometimes the desperation of being people making things. Mm-hmm. while trying to make a living. But I want to express this in a positive way, which is how I'm trying to see it now, which is that like we've have gotten better at planning for and preparing for like what it looks like to live live a life where our creative endeavors support us. It's like it's like the disaster preparedness of like we're like we're like becoming preppers, but for, <laughs> for <laughs> But rather than preparing for Doomsday, we're like preparing for Queenslandia too. <laughs> it's the Doomsday scenario of trying to make a living doing something creative. <laughs> but like we're we've spent a lot of time over the past few months and over the past two years, I would say, like setting up a life that is as stable as we can possibly make it, making games so we can make Questlandia 2 eventually as one of those things. Mm-hmm. The, how do I want to put this? The projects that we've been doing uh, that have squeezed in to be higher priority than Questlandia 2, to me, still feel like they're adding to Questlandia 2. 
I mean, with any of our games, we talk about how the more time you have to prepare, the more time you have to talk about and share the game, the more practice you get in making other games or other art, the better that final game will be. And we've often wished, like, oh, I wish we could just sit on this finished game and bring it to conventions and spend some number of years even spreading the word, honing the mechanics, perfecting things. But that's kind of a luxury. But these little projects that we're doing now, I say little, little, little-ish, <laughs> these other projects... <laughs> Um, are giving us that opportunity to get better at game design, to get better at the business sides of this work, and to keep revisiting Questlandia 2 over time and bringing the best lessons that we're learning into that game. So I feel like maybe we can like trace the arc of what it is we've been like, what is it that we've been doing since we promised Questlandia 2 to be done in a year? Like, what? how, how has that worked out? Like, I feel like right. I, I kind of want to trace the arc of the games that we've worked on it, over that time talking about scope for each one of those games as a way to talk about scope Ooh. in games, which nice. is what this episode is about. You so tied it in. I really did there. <laughs> then I knocked over everything. <laughs> So I think we've already established that my sense of time is trash, but my recollection is that the first major shift in the timeline from Questlandia 2 was after some amount of time, we realized it was still a ways off and we were like, hey, we have this other project that we are duty bound to create. Mm -hmm. which is a hack of Damn the Man, Save the Music to make it into more of a Douglas Adams-ish sci-fi uh, scenario. That's true. But that <laughs> that promise was getting mushed around by Good Dog, Bad Zombie. Right. Yeah, that's true. So Good Dog, Bad Zombie was delaying everything because... Well, it's interesting. Good Dog, Bad Zombie was super ambitious. It was a big project. It was a complicated board game. Um, it involved a whole bunch of different kinds of materials and setup and like shipping solutions and all sorts of stuff that was new and ambitious compared to what we had done before. And we nailed it. We nailed it. We fucking delivered it on time. It came out on time. Holiday game. With Here expansion included. Expansion included. Merry Christmas. Best expansion ever designed. I mean, it was it was great. But you can't then, argue because you never played it. I've never played the expansion. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked about this before. Two expansions. Oh, that's true. Two expansions. Blow me down. <laughs> <laughs> um. However, yeah, there was another part of that project. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a ton, but, you know, we delivered the game on time, and then we had promised these custom rewards, which were these custom dog cards we made for people, and we didn't put any cap on the number that we were going to create, because the idea was like, oh, eventually, you know, it it takes as much time to design a process for repeating work as it does to do the work. So if we're going to be creating this whole process and flow around creating a custom reward, we should make it worth the time. Uh-huh. Which is valid. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it turned out to be like over 2,000 custom dog cards. And despite the fact that we did get really good at automating the work, the just the quality, the quality of the original materials submitted varied widely from pictures that were super easy to work with to pictures that, you know, were taken with an, yeah. an iPod. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess one mistake that you could put to that original reasoning was the idea that we would develop a process that made, that made e- making each card easier and easier. And... The range of quality and styles of the dogs that we were receiving were so wildly different that there was just, there was a a lot of limitation in how much of a universal process we could apply. Like a lot of it just ended up taking custom hand work for each card. So it got quicker, but it never got really, really quick. Yeah. We got blowed over <laughs> by that uh, unexpected swelling of scope of that endeavor. Yeah. And that's, it's weird because that's a good example of like, I don't, I don't think that Good Dog Bed Zombie as a game was actually small in scope. Like, I think it was, it no. was a huge undertaking to make a board game and produce the expansions produced by, you know, a worker-owned co-op in the United States, like doing, mm-hmm. trying to produce the game in ways that aren't traditional ways to produce a board game uh, and deliver it on time. Look, we we guessed that right. And I guess, I don't know, this isn't supposed to be an episode about like lessons learned. So I don't know what, I don't, I don't feel like, (laughs) like I have to be prescriptive here. But, uh, you know, anytime you're dealing with (laughs) one place that scope creep can happen is anytime you're dealing with like individual people and their unique needs. Right. Yep. So. So that's been a background hum for two and a half of the last three years that design doc has been going on. Mm -hmm. So that work contributed to the initial delays of Questlandia 2. And in response, we were like, Let's make a smaller game so we can actually get something out the door. How about this hack of Damn the Man Save the Music? And that underwent two shifts. The first was like, let's make that as a tiny project that we can just get out quick. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, finish our obligation. I love love finishing obligations. I just, I love that. Feels feels good. Mm Mm-hmm. One of these days. (laughs) going to have that feeling and it's going to be great um then there was a second shift because we had started to design this hack yeah record store at the end of the universe and it was like a very true to the original rules hack 
Uh, we actually designed it pretty quickly. I mean, we brought it to a Metatopia shortly after Damn the Man had kickstarted. And it went pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fine. Then we were like, yeah, but we want to make some money with this idea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, maybe we could... Well, wait, can I... Can I... Yeah. Can I e- edit? Edit. All right. Um... It wasn't, I don't think it was, we want to make some money. I think something that we experienced with Damn the Man or that I felt like we experienced was that we, the game, you know, in comparison to what a lot of role-playing game Kickstarters are making now, I feel really proud of that game. I think we did a great job. Like, it it won an award for best rules. Mm-hmm. Uh there was a point at which I felt like the work that we had put in to damn the man to make it as good as it was didn't totally match the return. Right. Uh, which was okay. Like that feeling was okay. Uh, but I didn't want to put in the same amount of work on a smaller sort of damn the man adjacent project just to make, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think about how to explain this because it's not just about money. I mean, it's it's about what we're talking about. It's about scope. It's about like what your expectations are for how much work goes into the game. And also expectations of what you want to get out of it. Yeah. Because Record Store at the End of the Universe was not planned before the Kickstarter. No. That was a mid-Kickstarter decision yeah. of saying like the amount of work we've put into Damn the Man like doesn't feel it doesn't feel like we're getting an appropriate amount of response for it we're not hitting our goals here Mm -hmm. and so we made a promise (laughs) (laughs) so i'm starting to see a theme here yeah yeah so we made a promise to make this thing that would sort of add on to the universe of damn the man and then suddenly seeing that the universe of damn the man hadn't quite paid off in the way that felt the best for us uh-huh. we we're like well let's let's escalate that promise yeah <laughs> or let's let's just make the scope of the game match what we think the game is worth mm-hmm. and questlandia 2 fed into this because we were concurrently working on questlandia 2 and that was stretching our ideas of what kind of games we felt like we could make and we wanted to make and as we did that, and as we revisited the little hack we had made, we were like, we could do some cool stuff with this. Yeah. We could grow this. We could try some of the the things that we're excited about in role-playing games here. And with that thought, Record Store at the End of the Universe grew into Starship Ultralux. Yeah, and Questlandia 2 really did feed into that because we were talking about a lot of things like what does it look like to make games that feel really similar to the games we've made, like feel similar to Dan the Man, feel similar to Questlandia 1, but don't use dice. And mm-hmm. Starship Ultralux kind of became a way to like, it was like a playground for trying out some of the stuff that we eventually maybe want want to do or wanted to do in Questlandia 2. Right. Before we get too much into how the design of Starship Ultralux expanded. Let's just finish the arc. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> uh, damn the man to good dog, bad zombie to record store at the end of the universe 
to Starship Ultra Lux. Sort of. It's all happening. It's all like, it's, it's all happening. stacked. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not a linear progression. So more like a sort of an, it's like a, an elevator, not an escalator. As soon as, that's not the word, as recent, as recently as, I don't know, like two or three months ago, we were considering whether Starship Ultralux would be our next Kickstarter, our next game. Mm-hmm. And then we decided no. <laughs> Actually, what we decided was kind of yes. Wait, yeah. Wait, catch me up. <laughs> yeah, we were like, yeah, let's do Starship Ultralux next. That'll yeah. be our next thing. And then one night you were like, Evan, <laughs> I have an idea. I need you to talk me down. Yeah, wait, this wasn't two or three months ago. This was like this was like six weeks ago. Uh, maybe two. Yeah, maybe two months ago. Three years ago. <laughs> we, all right, we both admitted that our sense of time is just totally fucked. So, yeah, I don't know, maybe eight weeks ago or something, I was driving home and I had this idea for this game that was partly inspired by, like, for some reason, everybody on Twitter talking about golems all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and listen, no, this is this is not this is not a classy thing to say. Have you ever made a game that's also a subtweet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> a few months ago, I hopped onto Twitter and I was sort of confused because everybody was talking about golems mm-hmm. and people were sort of back being like, and I learned that uh, you can't use golems in games. They're very offensive to Jewish people. And I was <laughs> like, I'm a Jewish person. I have never once in my life thought about golems. <laughs> Here are things that I think about from day to day as a Jewish person. These days, Nazis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have to think about Nazis a lot. Uh-huh. Second, bagels. Yum. Yeah. Third, lox and schmear. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious on a bagel. Little bit of cream cheese, some capers, mm-hmm. some sliced red onion. Third, I don't know. The... <laughs> The criminal <laughs> Gentile claiming of Gola mythology. Yeah, so apparently that's third. And I was like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> so I kind of followed it. Like for a while I followed silently and then eventually not silently because I was like, this is just, this is like kind of bizarre. Uh, Yeah, so I was driving home one night and I was thinking about golems because apparently this was something now that I was thinking about every day. <laughs> Thanks, Gentiles. Um, so I was driving home thinking about golems, and I was like, oh, golems are like a really good metaphor for some of the things that I think about in my own life. Like golems are a good metaphor for uh, talking about queer outsiderness and also talking about sort of the construction of ideas of the perfect body. I was I was also thinking about it in terms of just like Jewishness and the idea of, you know, this history of different ways that Jewish bodies or like Jewish features are perceived or mm-hmm. um, stereotyped or sort of made cartoonish. And so thinking thinking about that in terms of some of the things that I've struggled with in my own life or have thought about in my own life. And I was like, well, <laughs> Apparently we're talking about golems now, so mm-hmm. uh, 
maybe there's maybe there's something here. So I was driving home and then I got home and I was like, Evan, I have to talk to you right now. I have this idea. And like, we have a to-do list of a million things. Like you, you have to talk me down. Right. So, hold me back. Hold me back, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> so you very kindly agreed to like a middle of the night meeting, mm-hmm. <laughs> a clandestine meeting. <laughs> and I was like, Evan, did you think you were done talking about golems? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the beginning. So... <laughs> So I pitched my idea to you, pitching it to you as like a please shut me down. Yeah. And you were like, that's a great idea. Let's kickstart it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, the result of that was the both fastest pulled together and best Kickstarter we've come up with yet in terms of scope and expectations matching what that campaign looked like to run and it came together so fast that i think it i think we we conceived of and ran that kickstarter uh like we never we never had a chance to do a design doc about it and i feel sort of bad because there may be people who are listening who are like what the fuck i would have backed that project thanks guys (laughs) um but we'll do a backer kit so yeah between the last episode (laughs) between the last episode and this episode, we did a whole fucking Kickstarter. Remember when we've had episodes where, like, we promise that before the next episode, we will do one play test? Yeah. And we were <laughs> like, psych, we haven't worked on Questlandia 2 in, like, <laughs> 300, years. 300 years. But we did just kickstart a totally unrelated game that was essentially a subtweet. So, Scope. Yeah, so Mud, which is this game that we kickstarted a few weeks ago is a great example of scope hopefully so the the idea of the game is that it's going to be a zine love that word so mud is pitched as a zine and solo role-playing game it's like 30 pages lots of black and white drawings of golems it is hopefully a truly small scoped project. <laughs> I guess this episode doesn't instill a lot of confidence in our ability to make small things, right? Uh, but I feel I feel a little bit heartened by how quickly it came together, and you know we've already outlined the whole thing, and I feel like some of the work of the past three years has also just been refining our our sense of what what it means for something to be a, a restrained sort of project. It's worth noting that the Kickstarter didn't have any like high price, high reward levels. Um, it didn't have any stretch goals. It was a very straightforward, this is what we want to make. This is how much it costs. And it was just two weeks long. Mm-hmm. Felt good. Felt great. Um, and part of what made that possible is that we had a sense of what scope we wanted to make this game at and what it would take to achieve that with all of our previous games. I felt like we were straining against our limitations of scope. Mm. And what I mean by that is like, we had special editions of Questlandia, of Noirlandia, and of Damn the Man Save the Music, which 
had different levels of like like custom special materials and add-ons and boxes and custom pencils and whatever and there were two reasons for that one was that that was closer to our vision of what the game should be like like what we wanted for it what we wanted the experience to be like and the other part was we were straining to get these games to receive the amount of attention and money that we felt like they were worth and we wanted to put in levels where like that could happen it's this idea that i conceive of really differently now after you know doing six kickstarters and I think that going into a lot of these projects, starting with Questlandia 1, our first ever Kickstarter, I just had this idea of like what a Kickstarter looked like. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, a Kickstarter for a role-playing game is this thing where you have this PDF, and then you have the soft cover book, and then you have this step up and step up. And each one of our projects had those levels, and they were all sort of like, they were this mix of like arbitrarily conceived of because there was this false idea that this was what a Kickstarter looked like and you had to step up and step up, you know, up to this sort of high level that had sort of custom reward or gold to jangle. Um, (laughs) And then combined with what you're saying, like this idea that like we actually did want to make these games that were sort of like these artifacts and like delivered in these beautiful boxes and came with their own pencils or their own plum bobs. And we just didn't have the the ability or the confidence to just make that the level. Right. Because when you kickstart your first Kickstarter, you're like, how much can I ask for? Yeah. One dollar? Oh, it's too much. How could I? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) What ego? (laughs) Which I still fight against that. Um, Oh, for sure. I'm constantly talking myself down. But now I feel like much more equipped to present, you know, the <laughs> eventual possible Kickstarter of Questlandia 2 and be like, yeah, this is this game that comes in this box. It comes with this crystal plum bob. Mm-hmm. And this is how much it costs because everything in this box is exactly what we want to have here. Yeah. You know, also there's an element to that of uh, wanting the game to be played by as many people as possible not wanting to put a price gate on the experience. Um, I don't know. That, that's a good... <laughs> there's a whole episode to talk about that that uh, set of dueling urges about setting a price point for a game or multiple levels or whatever. But in any case... Mud, more than anything we've made so far, feels like a proof of concept that we could make a small, quick, simple project. The work on the actual production of the zine is happening now, and so far so good, but that'll be the real proof of, like, did we make a small thing that's reasonable, that's not going to blow up and, you know, swell and push all of our other stuff backwards. Yeah. 
if I had any desire to listen to our past episodes, just how I could imagine like taking the sound sample of us being like, and Questlandia 2, which will be done in a year. Like I could imagine sampling this and being like, mud, which is a small project. But uh, <laughs> my hope my hope is that like at this point, we sort of have the foresight to, I'm trying to reframe things just in general at this point in my life into like, being less down on the work that we do and the time that it's taken and see it as like this as stepping stones uh, to learning more about like who I am and the types of games that we are we excel at making Uh, not be self-punishing about the amount of time that it's taken or not cast aspersions on mud um but to like give credit where credit's due and to say that like I, I genuinely think that we're making a small in scope game here mm-hmm. and I don't even want to make a joke about eating those words because I don't think we will. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so what that arc looks like, we're making mud now. When mud is done, we're going to make Starship Ultralux. When Starship Ultralux is done, we're going to make Questlandia 2. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> um. No, that's time for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always pushing for Questlandia 2 to occupy more space in our days. Yeah, I shouldn't have said make. That's the wrong verb. Um, I really mean just kickstart. Like, I mean, the order that we're presenting these, because I think that the work on all of them will overlap to some extent. That's the arc. That's what's changed. So a common thread in all these conversations is the changing scope of these projects And, you know, I hadn't thought of this before we started recording, but I'm like really thinking a lot about that distinction of scope of production versus scope of reception. Because one thing we've talked about recently is releasing slightly new editions, slightly updated editions of Questlandia and Norlandia. And that's come at the tail end of conversations we've had about those games, where we've looked them over and been like, oh, these are good games. These are, these are cool, worthy games where we feel like the scope of their reception doesn't match the scope that, of effort and care that went into them. And it feels like, oh, we could get this to a wider audience. We could get it to, we could make online editions of it. We could just spruce up a few rules here and there. And it would be totally worthwhile talking about doing a second printing of these and putting them in the spotlight again, because they deserve more time in the spotlight. Last week, I was lamenting the fact that Questlandia 2 keeps getting pushed back or or that just that it's like that it's taken this long for us to revisit the world of Questlandia in a way where other people can be in it and play it because 
I still think it's a great game. And there's just so much I want to change about the first one we made to make it more playable and more accessible. Right. And you were like, well, yeah, we could just do a Kickstarter releasing. I mean, we only have a few copies left. Like, we're uh-huh. almost sold out of the game. And you were like, we could just do a Kickstarter making a new edition before Questlandia 2. And I was like, what? <laughs> 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 it was such a cool idea. And it feels, I don't know, in some ways it feels like the the conclusion to this conversation about scope and the idea of scope of reception matching the scope of, like, your hopes for the game. It's giving the opportunity for new people to see the game, like, getting the game in front of new eyes. Also, like, there's probably a bunch of people who have heard about Questlandia and they're like, oh, I don't really know what that is. I don't really understand it. And we're like, well, that's fair because maybe we <laughs> didn't do a great job with mm-hmm. the first one, like, explaining what it is and bringing people on board. And it's like giving those people a chance to get on board and giving them, I don't know, the opportunity to be a part of the conversation and also like reinviting ourselves into the, like an appreciation for the work that was put in. Right. And that work isn't just making the game or kickstarting the game. Like that work is like all the conventions we've gone to and all of the time that we've like printed special character sheets and tried to market it and made banners and then scrapped the banners because it didn't describe the game well. Like it's it's like right. honoring that work. And it was the first time that I had thought about that work, not just having to take the the form of this entirely new game, Questlandia 2, which is going to be its own thing. But it was like, oh, well, maybe Questlandia 2 isn't Questlandia 2. Maybe Questlandia 2 is actually Questlandia 3. Yeah. <laughs> and Questlandia 2 can be just this this small step. Mm-hmm. I feel like when we first kickstarted Questlandia, that was our first ever Kickstarter, it made $6,500. It had like 250 backers. And that was our sense of scope of that project. It's like, we're going to print 300 books and we're going to be devoting this much time to it and this many people will play it. But the scope of its reception, those numbers, is a result of many things other than the game itself. It's an expression of how many people had heard of us, how many people were willing to take a leap of faith on us. It's also just how many people were on Kickstarter. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I, I... I think I had a Twitter back then, but I didn't use it. I mean, at that point, right? there were so... There were just so few avenues. I think a lot of the people that we were talking to at the time were friends and family who were like, I don't know what a role-playing game is. Right. And Good Dog, Bad Zombie expanded our sense of what kind of scope of reception we could aim for. Because that made well over $100,000. And we were like, we can do that. We can make something that's that good and that gets that much of a response. And when we with that mindset, looked back at Questlandia, 
we were like, oh, we already did do something that good, nearly. This is a special game. And without stretching, but instead just putting in the amount of effort that's natural for us at this point in what we draw like, what we design like, what we write like, to just bring the original Questlandia up to that speed, it's already something that's worthy of much more than what it had before, you know, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> that goes for Norlandia too. Yeah. That goes for Damn the Man for sure. You know, Damn the Man was interesting. We talked about that not hitting what we wanted. And part of that, I think, is an expression of the subject matter of, you know, teenagers in an indie record store in the 90s. Right. Like, it's pretty, it's, its scope is, is pretty narrow in terms of setting and theme. And its design is kind of exceptional. It's worthy of more. And Starship Ultralux has its, you know, its rules father is Dame the Man. Father Mother. This <laughs> 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 is side-eyeing you at Father. I was like, come on. <laughs> Um, let's take, let's let's do that take again. <laughs> <laughs> Starship Ultralux, um, Predecessor? its its source, its source. its rules mother <laughs> is damn the man save the music, and it's it's part of that effort to be like, oh, there's like a gem in here, and we want to shine it and invite more people into it and we also want to make a production that's worthy of it like damn the man had our most ambitious deluxe version of any of our projects we made this big custom box with insets and custom decks of playing cards and all sorts of things it was really fun and it kind of felt like that's what the game is worth mm-hmm. with ultralux that very well could be the base level of the game. It's saying, like, it's a special game. It's a special object. And just sort of aligning our scope of design and our scope of production to the scope of reception that we think is appropriate for it. And mud feels like a good preparation for that. Because it's another case where we have our where we're trying to align all these different perceptions of scope from the stuff that we put in to the stuff that we hope others will put in yeah you know i feel like the last the last thing that i kind of want to say about scope learning how to determine the scope of a game and plan for it in some ways feels like learning how to put things on your calendar like there's this feeling that I first felt when I learned how to schedule things in advance and I felt like I was like depriving myself of my sense of freedom and spontaneity. I was like I'm not I'm not somebody who puts things on my calendar. Like that's for people who are like rigid and so that's that's for squares who have never heard of fun. <laughs> uh, I think the mud will be a good test case 
because I think it's easy to think about this idea of knowing what it looks like for yourself to make a small in scope game versus a big in scope game. Like it could be perceived as sort of rote or formulaic, but I I feel like developing that sense and that instinct is just going to be really essential for us continuing to do this work reliably and like take it seriously, be the long-term game designers we want to be. <laughs> like it just, it feels like a, a really worthwhile skill to hone of rather than to stumble into a project and then you're like, oh, this was much bigger than I thought to to just know going into something the size because you've done this so many times before. You know what a big in scope game looks like. You know what a small in scope game looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that a small in scope game couldn't have a, an unexpectedly large reception. But... I mean, one thing that I've felt more clear on over time is that scope isn't an inherent property of a game. Like you don't measure scope by how many pages or rules it has. Scope's an expression of how much effort it takes you in particular to create this game, how much you're stretching. Mm. Um, And a lot of our games have been stretching and it's not that I want to stop stretching, but of the many, many skills that go into making a game, we've gotten to comfortable places with a lot of them. I'm more comfortable drawing than I used to be. We're much better at like passing off drafts of writing to each other and honing it quickly to something we both like. We don't fight as much. We don't fight as much. <laughs> I mean, it's legit, you know, like working with somebody else and having the skill to work well together. That's real. And part of what makes Mud feel like a genuinely small scoped game is I feel like we are playing to our strengths with it. We're bringing an art style that feels very natural and fun for me. And, you know, and we're capping it. We're calling it a zine. We're calling it roughly 30-ish pages or something. Um... And it just feels so doable and so within the level of expertise that we've acquired. And that makes it feel small scope. I think if this was our first ever project, this would feel much bigger. Mm -hmm. Much, much bigger. Yeah, that's a good point. The end. (laughs) (laughs) I know, how do we... uh... So final thing to talk about on our notes is Q2 and Design Doc. I have sort of two ideas of how Design Doc is appropriate for this crazy time that we're in. (laughs) Go on. Idea one. We're still designing stuff. These are all designed projects. We're just we're just designing different docs. Simple as that. Idea two. Design Doc started with a subject matter of the design of Questlandia 2, bringing it from really the rough idea stage, brainstorming what it's even going to be like, to actually getting it out the door. We're still in it. This is what it's It's like. Yeah, there's no reason to stop now. (laughs) It turns out that uh, 
it's a bumpy road. (laughs) (laughs) And some parts of this design, you know, if you weren't wise to it, you'd think we were designing whole different games than Questlandia 2. But no. It's true. It's all part of it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, if you are existing on the same psychedelic plane (laughs) that we are... Where time is not linear, mm-hmm. and you sort of perceive these projects rather than existing linearly, instead as existing in the fourth dimension. Uh huh. And it makes a lot of sense. It does. That this podcast is still about Questlandia, too. I mean, everything that we've done has sort of stemmed from running into certain issues with Q2's development and coming up with solutions for those. Some of the solutions involve making other games. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we have exciting news. We have decided after three years of running this podcast, three years, one month, to mark this as the end of season one. <laughs> <laughs> we made it, everybody. We made it. So... We'll Gotta add a little sound effect here. Burr, burr, burr. Like that? Yeah. Or a different sound effect. It's already added. Now we're good. Okay. So with that, thank you, heroes. Scope, scope, scope. Ooh, yeah. Brought it together. <laughs> yeah, you know, always have to like have a little bit of a consistent arc from mm-hmm. beginning and end. Remind people what they've just listened to. And uh, we'll see you in season two. The Design Doc intro-outro theme was written by our friend, musician Pat King. Thanks, Pat. The Design Doc podcast is brought to you by the OneShot Podcast Network. I don't have my show blurbs in front of me right now, but I feel like probably if you are listening to Design Doc, you are deep enough in the OneShot ecosystem that you like the niche shit. Uh Uh-huh. But if you're not... One Shot's awesome, and I really appreciate to this day James and One Shot taking us on and continuing to support Design Doc. And I invite you to go to the One Shot website and scroll through, see the other shows on the network, and like pick something else that, that might vibe with you. Agree. <laughs> Is that a bad? <laughs> no, I think it's these. Yeah. <laughs> it is a treasure trove of audible content (laughs) so next next episode i'll make sure to have the show blurbs available again (laughs) but i always forget from episode to episode anyway like which one we've talked about i we probably mentioned the same one every time so uh maybe between now and then i can come up with a system for actually making sure that we we blurb sufficiently season two is going to be amazing it's like everything's going to be different in season two i mean bringing our best if you want to see more of what we're bringing you can check out our patreon our only fans <laughs> <laughs> if you go to patreon.com slash turtle bun you will find us not only talking about design doc but talking about the subject of our design docs like mud and questlandia and starship ultralux 
and also like other weird little side projects. Other weird little side projects. We're doing a text adventure game about Disney World. We're doing a series of animations about my dreams. <laughs> Lots of good stuff. Literally, not like the metaphorical dreams, like goals of life. But no, actual like dreams. Like my, my nightmares that I wake up from, and then we're making them real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening, heroes, and we'll see you in season two.